today but then a little voice got in my head that sounded like you emily saying you're gonna love today's episode of red shards you will love it and now all of a sudden we're not we haven't even started the episode and i think this episode's amazing captain emily i'm here i'm here tell me what to do tell me what to do i'm just gonna say that i have revolutionized podcasting these used to be prisons and now they're like getaways, these podcasts. <laughs> they're like a getaway for your ears. Podcasts are absolutely prisons, prisons of our own making. <laughs> no one no one asked us to do this, and yet we are bound, <laughs> honor-bound to be in here and making sure that we do it every single week. We must. Captain we Emily, must. How are you? I am fan-fucking-tastic. And let me tell you, I don't know who suggested it, but... I'm okay. I'm okay with that suggestion. Um, today we're going to be looking at an incredible episode, Dagger of the Mind. Is that a podcast which I see before me? The handle toward my hand? Come, let me record thee. <laughs> Missy definitely had to memorize that whole monologue in college once, so I have oh. I have Macbethed it up. And I will also say Macbeth, because I don't believe in any <laughs> of the stupid superstition <laughs> that if you say Macbeth, the podcast is all of a sudden, oh no, it's collapsing on me! Oh, the hubris! <laughs> the hubris! The uh. hubris of the podcast! Uh, it is just funny that they're like, okay, this is about mind control and mind manipulation. What should we call it? Dagger of the mind. That'll be fun. Dagger of the mind. Dagger of the mind. There's a lot of fun naming in this episode. I'm very curious to see how much of it you caught. I'm so, it, it will be interesting for me because although this episode is going to be fun, I'm going to love it. I didn't love this Star Trek episode. Fair. I, I thought it was fine. Yep. Um, and we'll talk about it, but it mostly is when I realized, oh, what's happening in this episode, it's sort of like I've seen this this type of thing mm -hmm. before and done in a little bit better way, although it was funny because I was trying to think of an example of it and I couldn't. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> this is the best example of it that I can have. Um, but so for me, it, it it just was fine. And so I'm curious to get your read on it, what um, people's read at the time was, and mm -hmm. the inspiration behind this one. Because in terms of plot, surprisingly, a very straightforward and one yep. of the most straightforward episodes we've had so far. Oh, yeah. And there is definitely a lot that went behind the scenes in creating this episode. Um, definitely also thought of as they, they got to the point where they're like, this is okay. But boy, boy, when that first script was handed in, did Bob Justman had some have some fun little notes 
oh, to put boy. in. So this is, of course, Dagger of the Mind, directed by Vincent McEvity, um, and written by S. Bar David, which is the pen name for one Shyman Winselberg. Yes, I looked him up and I noticed that he had uh, quite a few television credits yes. going all the way up until the until Law and Order 1997. Exactly. He was prolific. He could have been the co-creator of uh, Lost in Space, but just wasn't interested in show running. So he just sort of let them use all of his scripts and things. Um, he did westerns he did outer limits this guy was prolific he had plays on broadway yeah katakai which i know the name of it's a conan o'brien reference which is a terrible way of knowing it but i i've heard of this show before and so because it it, so it's just very interesting uh it's always interesting the people Mm -hmm. that they pull for these episodes so a little story about how this was written Shyman Winselberg, he was one of the first people they got to write episodes for this show before it was even on the air. He, This was the first episode that he wrote for it. He turned it in and almost immediately Roddenberry was like, here's two more. Like, help me fix wow. these scripts. Like, help me out. And so Shyman's like, sweet. They love me. I'm writing. I'm prolific. I have plays on Broadway. And then he got back a draft that had been sent to NBC. So this is after, like, he's no longer allowed to work on it. Like, he has turned it in. He's been paid for this script. And he's like, hey, Gene Roddenberry, um, why the fuck did you change my entire script? Why did you change all of the dialogue? Why? Like, I understand that you have to change things. You're a showrunner, obviously. Like, but you changed it so much that i'm taking my fucking name off this wow that is why it's s bar david his father is david s is for shyman uh bar is bar means son of david yeah Uh, yeah yeah. and yeah so he went and he's like no don't put my name on this thing i have plays on fucking broadway and later on in his life he was like maybe i was a little too precious about that i probably didn't need to go that far but also Fuck what Gene did to my beautiful <laughs> script that I worked very hard on. I fought for every one of my, and I think he he wrote this in a in a message to uh, John B. F. Black, who was a story editor. Um, I will fight for every one of my mathematically square all American type jokes. I <laughs> so have that's so funny. It's I, I, that's. Again, a recurring theme that comes up in, in many of our episodes, which is Gene Roddenberry had, he didn't have the golden touch. He had like the, I don't know, uh, uh, cubit zirconium touch, I guess. Yeah, the lube on his fingers. Yeah, everything uh, gets yeah. a little lubey. <laughs> everything just, yeah, everything just became a bit more like chintzy. And like, I'm not, and actually, I shouldn't say cubic zirconium because I actually like fake diamonds and yep. officially graded diamonds. So yeah. I'm not actually trying to knock that on there, but just in terms of yeah. like brand and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it just is always interesting where, where 
he just kind of comes in and every everyone just doesn't like the changes that he makes. Like, yep. don't, you don't have to spoil this, but I'm curious if we're ever going to get to a writer who was like, oh my God, Gene, thank you so much. <laughs> you have improved. Oh, you have, you have made everything uh, so much better. You have only enhanced it. I, I, I don't think that day will come, but I'm waiting. We will see. We will see. We will see. Um, so I'm super excited. Let's get into it. I have a couple Let's. more writing stories sprinkled in around when they happened. Um, but yeah, this was the final episode, I think, that they were able to complete before the show started airing. So every show after this that they produced uh, was turned in like maybe a day or two before it aired. <laughs> They're okay. like, fuck, 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 fuck. Um, which they already were at this point. Uh, but this entire thing it was shot on schedule that's right they had no teenagers crying because the director was probably yelling at her some shit uh no arguments about racism meaning the director wants to do a racist thing and everyone's like why dude uh you know all that fun stuff it's it's a very trauma free episode for one of the the more drama free episodes that that we have. True, very very true. So, we open on the Enterprise. We're on top of the Tantalus Penal Colony. Here's the first name that has meaning. That's right, Simon Shyman. Uh, did the Tantalus Penal Colony? Do you know what Tantalus is, Missy? Um. No, I don't think I do. It is one of the prisons of the gods uh, in the 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 Greek sense. Santalus is, yeah, it's like a, a hell that Zeus throws people into. I was wondering, because I almost said Greek, and like, does the three-headed dog guard? But I'm like, no, that's Hades that he guards. So it is, okay. Yeah. So, it's like it, part of Hades. It's like okay. where the bad people and titans go, of course, depending on the story, depending on whatever but the the essential was like imprisoned area that the gods created god prison yeah so we're on top of the tantalus penal colony that's right we're in the transporter room where james doonan that's right that's scotty not there you know why he only did like one or two things in that room and they had to pay him like 850 dollars an episode uh <laughs> so justin was like nope uh uh, equity actor uh let's have let's let's not have them be in for just a couple minutes so we don't have yeah. to pay them full price <laughs> like we don't need some we don't need james Dunan to be like oh i forgot that you can't transport things down through a force field because that's mm-hmm. basically what's happening kirk's there too they're trying to transport supplies down and realize oh you need to call the penal colony and be like hey can you open up your force field because you're a penal colony so that we can you know transport shit down um so they send the stuff down and they get one thing back up that's right it's a big old box from the central borough of penology i just like that word i mean i i i didn't (laughs) lean too much into it but even with the fact that it was a penal colony yeah (laughs) um we get Lieutenant Berkeley is the person in the room. Kirk has a great little back and forth with Berkeley, just like, hey, Berkeley, you should probably read up on uh, transporting shit to penal colonies. 
motherfucker. Scotty uh, was here. He'd know how to do it. Scotty was here. $850. Intern uh, files in one day. <laughs> Scotty's Scotty pay was too much today. I put him on leave. Um, so Scott, Kirk leaves, engineer turns around, he's taking notes on our big panel of lighted buttons that have no words on them, uh, when suddenly a creepy old man who is 40 years old pushes his way out of the box, <gasps> comes around behind our guy and bam! Hits him on the head. Well, first off, when he pops out of the box, he's wearing like a, a respirator with a popper attached. It looks mm-hmm. like a popper. It looks like just a nitrous oxide <laughs> fucking cartridge. Uh, and I thought that was great. But it's clearly so that he can breathe. I'm not sure. Um, He comes out and he bops the guy on the back of the head, the engineer. Um, He bops him on the back of the head. Because NBC was like, you can't have him knee a guy in the face. That's too brutal. <laughs> we we can have gunslingers shooting people down left and right. But if you knee someone to the face, so help me God, I will pull you off this motherfucking airwave before <laughs> your shit can even hit the fan. Side boob and knees to the face. <laughs> Fuck you. The two worst things on television. So I thought when this guy was first getting like creep, like popping out of there and hit him, I'm like, uh oh, we got a space criminal escaping from space, space prison. Criminal. What's happening? It certainly seems like it. He's popping out of the penal colony box and he's on the run. Space, the final frontier. Now we're on the bridge. Uh, Kirk is chatting with Dr. McCoy about this really incredible Dr. Adams, who runs this colony. He's like, oh, my God, I wish I could have met Dr. Tristan Adams. Have you even been to a penal colony since Dr. Tristan Adams took over them? Oh, it's I mean, to be fair, I like the fact that they have a famous prison reformer who was known for making prison less awful. Yes. Like, that's something that they put work into in the future, which I wish was something that now we could be putting work into. Absolutely. The original name of Dr. Tristan Adams has meaning. Uh, it would be Dr. Tristan Asgard. Dr. Asgard. Oh. Missy, do you know what Asgard is? Uh, yes, I do know what Asgard is. That is the Norse home of the gods, uh, yes. as well as... Is that also the place where Vikings believe they went to in the afterlife? Um, I think was so. to Asgard as well? Yeah. Or Valhalla. Like or Valhalla. 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 Yes, Valhalla is the, the part. But I, it's, I think it's in Asgard. I don't yeah. know. Either like, way. The Rainbow really, Bridge. We yeah. we know Asgard. Yeah. We've seen Marvel films. We've seen Marvel films. So yeah, essentially, like, generally, enclosure of the gods. Now, why did they not use the name Asgard? Did they just think people wouldn't know what it was? Or A-S was the as part was too much for them? Bing, bing, bing! Robert <laughs> Justin was like, Asgard? You mean Asgard? We're going to name our scientist Asgard? That is <laughs> so freaking funny. So his name is Adams now. He's like, wow. Kirk's like, wow. I wish we could have met this Adams guy. McCoy goes, a cage is a cage, Jim, which I took to 
to him meaning because he isn't specific he doesn't mean oh and it's good that cages still exist or there should still be cages i took it more to mean like it's bad to put people in cages Mm -hmm. like you're putting someone in a cage it's still a cage it still sucks yeah um Kirk tell McCoy, he's like, McCoy, you're an old man. You're behind the times. They're more like resorts now. Uh, just then, the Tantalus colony hails the Enterprise and is like, hey, um, we have an inmate mis- missing. Oh. We just, oops. Oops. We lost someone. Whoops. Oops. You might want to um, might want to see if they're on your ship. I don't know. Question mark. Check that that big old box you just you just had up there. Maybe he he's in there. Maybe they're like, look, this is a violent case. Like, be on guard. There's a guy there. We're all fucked. So meanwhile, the mysterious stowaway now in a red jumpsuit. He stole the red jumpsuit to look like an engineer, but he's still sweating and his eyes are bugging out and he does not look like he's part of the crew at all. Um, He makes his way out into the corridors. He's being a hallway menace. Immediately, he is spotted by Fields. From the last episode. That's right. It's the same guy with the 50s face from the last episode. Oh, nice. Uh, So Lieutenant Fields, um, he's now in yellow, command yellow. Um, He was also Sturgeon, um, and he died at uh, 93 years old. He died in 2021. Um, So he lived a long life being an extra in all these fucking episodes and only dying in one. (laughs) And he was a quarterback and a bricklayer in Minnesota. Hut, hut, hut. Hut, hut, hut. Uh, So security is alerted to the stowaway. Uh, He surprises one of the guards looking for him, takes his blast, his phaser. So now he has a phaser running through the hallways. Uh, Kirk calls down to the colony again. And he's like, Dr. Adams is like, hey, uh, this guy's really violent. You need to take really extreme caution. Like, it's been time now that he's been there and you need to take caution, Um, which is kind of suspicious, kind of suspicious. The stowaway gets on the bridge. That's right. He just opens up the bridge doors and takes out the security guard that they have put right next to the elevators. Uh, Does another neck punch to take him out. And it's a it's a standoff. It he is holding ground, and he's basically like, uh, "I will blast your communicate. I will blast all your equipment here. Yeah. I'm just going to take this phaser and we'll shoot yeah. all your stuff up, so you'll be stranded if you don't do what I tell you to." Which is asylum. That's interesting. An escape violent criminal, and he is he's struggling, and he has the phaser. He says, "I want asylum. Just don't take me back there." Anywhere but Tantalus. You cannot take me back. Uh, You know, meanwhile, like, you know, Kirk is like, he's like, no promises. Like, look at me. Eye on the birdie. Eye on the Kirk. Eye on the Kirk. Don't look at, don't look at Spock behind you. It's Kirk over here. Um, So Kirk, of course, comes up behind him and ministers a neck pinch. And bam, we have caught this possibly violent, dangerous escaped criminal. Hooray. And you're right to say sus earlier because my sus alarm was already going off with Mm. how adamant these uh, detached voices coming from the communicators were about this person. It's like, hmm, 
wonder why they're so desperate for this one person who doesn't seem that he seems more like desperate than violent yeah. oh yeah definitely we're in sick bay and he has been babbling according to mccoy not me not making sense but with a ring of truth so mccoy is already like this guy's not lying to us he's just not coherent uh which which is interesting Kirk goes and he tries to like get answers out of this guy, but he's struggling enormously. But he shared and he shared on the on uh, the bridge that his name is Van Gelder. He was able to get that out. Um, and in fact, when he's acting super aggressive, he'll go into like these modes of being like in a lot of pain, trying to remember something and then just like saying random words like um, wash your hands after handling that you button pushing brat. That's an interesting thing. Where did he hear that? Yeah. Um, and that he was assistant to the director at the Tantalus colony. That- he gets it out. My name is Van Gelder. I was assistant to the director at the Tantalus colony. What the fuck? And then he like lets out this really goofy laugh, which was fantastic. It sounded exactly like Goofy from like Disney. (laughs) (laughs) He says someone erased and adjusted him and that he will die before they take him back. So that's really weird. I have two stories about this one. The name Van Gelder. Do you know what that refers to? No, not a clue. That's because it was one of uh, Shyman Winselberg's family friends. Oh, nice. He would often put people he knew, especially people who pissed him off, as oh, villains in his scripts. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Which would seriously piss them off at that point. But Van Gelder uh, appreciated being being written to the script in this way he's obviously not a villain so i understand why but yeah uh the second thing is at this moment in the original script shyman wrote that he would was trying to kill himself by swallowing his own tongue oh now on the original script john df black he and his wife were actually like the script editors of it. And so she would often like read and write notes that were just for John and John would go in and present them to the writer and stuff. And so on this part, she wrote, I have been trying to swallow my tongue for 10 minutes and I can't do it. It's impossible. Hilarious. Hilarious. Meant only for John's eyes. Uh, I was going to say something about swallowing your tongue being a myth and she just pointed it out right away. Uh, so apparently in the meeting, in the meeting with Shyman, um, John D.F. Black, like, had to go, like, they had to, like, switch the meeting around, and Gene Roddenberry, and this was before he had even gotten a chance to look at the notes, he's like, I'll look at the notes in the meeting, and I'll talk to Shyman in the meeting, Gene Roddenberry takes the notes out of his hand and just gives them to Shyman. He's like, here you go. Oh, oh no. So... This was a moment where Shyman surprised everyone. He wrote to John D.F. Black. He's like, you know, not many people have like the grace 
to be able to be brutal without being aggressive. And I appreciate your notes so, so much. Oh my God. I will do such a better job on the next one. And that was kind of a funny burn. And John's like, oh, I really appreciate how you don't take things personally. Oh, He's like, oh, I'm glad that the things that weren't meant for your eyes to see, the pre I was actually going to water this down and deliver grace before you, that this is what you needed apparently. So you're welcome that uh, Gene Roddenberry was such a fuck up that he fucked it up in the right way for me. Yup. <laughs> so that worked out for them. Um, so McCoy has him sedated with a hypo spray. Uh, later on the bridge, Spock determines that like Van Gelder is a former associate of the Tantalus administrator. Uh, he was assigned to the colony only six months ago. And like, this is a real person. They're like, okay, well, is this Van Gelder? Like, he looks the same. What's going on here? And why the fuck didn't Adam say it's our former associate mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is stuck there. And that's the part that they they realize is that he wasn't there transferred as a prisoner six months yeah. ago. He was assigned to help yeah. lead the prisoners six months yeah. ago. And then at some point became a, a violent, dangerous person that they can't explain why. Exactly. So Kirk is like, I am calling Dr. Adams, my my crush, my, my idol. Um... And he's like, so, uh, before he can say anything, Dr. Adams probably thinking to himself, well, Gelder's been there for a certain amount of time. They probably know that it's Van Gelder. This is what I think is going through Adams' head. But Adams, before he even says, Kirk even says anything, Adams is like, have you found Van Gelder? Is he okay? Oh, we're so worried about him. Are you going anywhere with better facilities than ours? Because we just care about him so much. We want him to have the best facilities possible. To quote Shakespeare, I think the lady doth protest too much. Just a little bit. Just mm-hmm. a little bit too much. And they're like, um, no. Also, what is happening? And he goes, oh, Gelder, he's such a good guy. He just, he refused to do an ex- use an experimental beam on anyone before he used it on himself. And it would have been fine, but he fucked up. And now he's just fucking crazy. The medical mind. Vic- absolute victim blaming. Oh, he was too, he was too dangerous, too reckless. Oh, oh such a tragic oh. accident. Oh, what oh. an accident. <sighs> but McCoy is not buying it. He's like, Kirk, like, pause the phone call, please. Um, So, like, Kirk pauses the call and he's like, I don't believe him. I can't explain it, but I don't believe him. And I don't know why, but I don't believe him. And Kirk's like, that is giving me nothing. I I find it interesting that the two biggest bullshit detectors for different reasons are Spock, because he just Mm -hmm. will unlogic something. He just go from that angle. But McCoy's the one that always is like, I'm getting a read from this person. Yeah. He he just vibes and is always like, something doesn't feel, I can't tell you why, but something doesn't feel right about this. Same thing. And he's, he's right. Yep. He's right. Uh, So Jim is like, I don't buy it. Like, I'm not, I don't know what to do with this, McCoy. We're putting him back. We're giving him back to Dr. Adams. He's this great man. And McCoy's like, well, you know what? I'm going to bureaucratize for a minute. I'm going to put it in my notes that I recommended you look into it, which means in your notes, you're going to have to say why you didn't. Ha, 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 ha. 
which is a great way to get a doctor to do something. What a what a great strange move. Like that's <laughs> such a great way for him to be like, okay, fine. Like you just expect him to like, you know, emotionally feel, but it's the rare instance where again he just pulls out the bureaucracy, which I'm sure mm-hmm. they all hate to be like, well, fine then. It's like when they pulled in the episode uh the evil uh or excuse me, the uh the enemy within, where yes. uh they basically outlogicked uh Goodkirk by saying you can't take, we can't take helm of the ship unless you resign as captain. So mm-hmm. we need you to do that, but you don't trust yourself to have the capacity to do that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Just like, oh. Um, so Kirk's like, fine, fucking fine. I will go down there. I will visit. I'll investigate. But you should get someone for me to come with that has penology and psychology experience. So, well, to tell me and also adams too he he delivers the the famous setup for all mm-hmm. star trek mishaps which is can you come down to my planet but also can you send the small the most minimal the smallest least number of people the closest to zero but not actually zero <laughs> number of people that you can have because it's just resources are so tight down here. We've got so much security. There's so just, many, so many dangerous prisoners down here. We won't want anyone to get hurt or to, you know, try and stop. You what understand. We're doing. Yeah. You understand, right? You understand. I, and I felt like even Kirk at that point gave a glance to people when he was demanding that, and was sort of like in a mm-hmm sort of way. Mm. It just made me laugh. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. So in the original script. This was supposed to be Yeoman Janice Rand. Oh. Um, originally, it was written as Rand going down to the surface with him and doing all these things. Um, but in the rewrite process, uh, they were like, all right, there's romance coming up later in this episode. And if Janice Rand and Kirk express ro- romance to each other, that's going to jump the shark yeah. of the show. Like, we want to keep this sort of simmering sexual tension. And we'd have to address it because this other woman and Kirk are doing it. So it would be jealousy and that would have to bring up. And I I mean, I get why. It's, it's mm-hmm. a bummer for Janice um, since she's not in as much, but it, it, it makes sense. Yeah. The other reason is because uh, they're going down to the surface and they're using a bunch of medical materials and supplies. And they were like, oh, you mean Kirk is going to go down to this surface and start fucking with machinery? Just with his yeoman? Yeah. What an idiot. What idiot is like, hey, use this machine on me that neither of us have seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the other, that, that was the other part. So they're like, look, there, another character will make more sense in it, especially with some NBC notes that are common. So Kirk enters the transporter room with Spock and is surprised to discover uh, that he is beaming down with Dr. Helen Noel. Tell me about this name. Uh, okay. Well, Helen of Troy. Yeah. If we're doing Greek stuff for beauty and Noel is Christmas related, but I don't think that's important as much. They did meet at a Christmas party. Oh fuck my face! Oh my god! Oh, (laughs) of course, I'm an idiot. Oh, I completely forgot. I didn't even make that connection in the episode. Oh my god, that's so on the nose. I kind of hate it and love it. Gene Roddenberry came up with that one. Oh, that's why I hate it and love it. (laughs) Yo, 
Yep. That's exactly why. <laughs> it's not a okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I I like the the namings of of Doctor Tristan Asgard and all that reasoning and uh, Tantalus. The Tantalus. Yeah, that has okay. Not just beautiful woman. Christmas. Got it. <laughs> Helen. <laughs> Helen Noel. He's like, oh, we're doing names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, he's like, I want in. <laughs> so. Uh, he clearly knows this woman and she's like, oh yeah, like remember how we met at a Christmas party? Um, and he's like, yep, nope, I totally know. I remember and we don't need to talk about it, especially in front of Mr. Spock. <laughs> um, Spock's like, Captain, is there a problem? Um, and Kirk's like, let Dr. McCoy know that Dr. Noel better be the best technical aid that I have ever had. Mm-hmm. In my fucking life. And there's this great like look on Mr. Spock's face that's like, I feel like there's a lot of like, well, you tell your dad that blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, you tell mom that blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, why? Why am I in the middle of this bitchiness? <laughs> I am a Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like this, th- this sort of emotional dispute is beyond my sensibilities. So they beam down to the planet. We see a big, beautiful matte painting of the planet. Mm -hmm. And then we're immediately, we are inside of a room with an elevator. And that elevator takes us all the way down to the colony. There are two scenes. One with a big ass matte painting and one with an entirely new set. And boy, did Justman have feelings about why they couldn't just transport directly into the colony. Oh, why he needed a why do I need a map painting uh done just for this one shot? Yes. Uh Gene Roddenberry wanted to impress someone at NBC. So it stayed in. You know what? <laughs> just make this is you know what that is? That is when you get your budget for the office and you buy something that you don't technically need. But if you don't yeah. buy it, they're going to say, you don't need all your budget and we're going to remove it. So he said, that shot is my money shot literally to mm-hmm. make, so then the things this, so they can, so NBC can see literally their money on the screen. Pretty much. He's like, they need to see their money on the screen. Look, we already saved so much money not having Scotty. So smart. That, honestly, in, in in Jean's way, smart. Um. So originally, the matte painting was recycled. It was the same one used in No Where No Man Has Gone Before oh, okay. for the lithium plant. Yeah. They changed that in the special editions to just another matte painting. Um. And he, yeah, Justman was just so pissed off about this, but it stayed. Um. So they go down the very fast turbo lift deep into the center of the planet. Noelle gets spooked and jumps into Kirk's arms. She is the the worst officer. Yeah, this elevator is moving psychotically fast I, yeah. and to the point where all, both of them are just like, what the hell's going on here? And it and it, the lights are moving like it's Willy Wonka's like, <laughs> it's like the bow and his great glass elevator merged into a elevator. <laughs> directly into tantalus uh hell yeah yes so they go down wildly fast she literally jumps into kirk's arms she's the worst fucking officer i swear to god in the entire series she is a bitch she's like constantly she's like "Mm, why don't you call me helen captain kirk and he's like because we're working 
we're not so at no. a Christmas party right now? Lieutenant uh, Noel. Like, what the fuck? Um, so in any case, after that half a second of new sets, they're down in the Tantalus colony. Adam meets Adams meets the two immediately, and he's like, oh, like we never get guests down here. Here, let's have a toast. Like, let's drink a bit. Uh, Kirk is like, oh, where should I put my phaser? I'm on a penal colony. I can't be walking around with open weaponry. And he's like, oh, I know how you military men feel naked without your phasers. Everything is just wonderful. Uh, with your little well, portable pocket penises in there. Your little portable penises. Um, he is wearing a uniform. All of the people are wearing uniforms uh, on the colony that have a big hand with a little bird in it. Yeah. And it very much looks like the hand is pinching the dove. Is that a, is that a phrase? No, no, no. It like, it looks like the hand oh, is okay. like, is like Literally crushing pinch- the little I got bird. it. It's okay. It's, yeah. Is that, okay. Now, now we're too deep into this. I'm thinking dove, Greek symbol of peace. <laughs> and then you have hand, like a monos and it's crushing. And so it's like putting its will on peace and all. And it's like, no, we can't go there. We can't go there. But you know where we can go? Uh, with Lethe, who comes into the room. Do you know the name Lethe? Not, again, not off the top of my head. There. Uh, Lethe or like Leith. Uh, it is the river of forgetfulness in the Greek underworld. Oh. It is the thing that the ferryman takes you on to take you to Hades. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I. This that was ep- Winselberg. This episode is becoming better now that I'm hearing these things after the fact, but it doesn't enhance the episode whatsoever <laughs> in terms of like what I saw. Right? But it's really interesting. Like that's just. I like creative little nuggets like that in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. So she walks in. She is detached. She is kind of blank on her face. She is wearing a huge paisley silk muumu. Uh, just fantastic. She's like, I love my work. And Kirk's like, oh, cool. You're a reformed prisoner. Like, what did you do? Like, how do you end up here? And she's like, oh, like, that person no longer exists. Why would you ask about that person? Not and suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. Kirk's like, um, but thankfully, Dr. Helen Noel is there to be the worst officer ever. And she's like, oh, my God, changing memory patterns is like a normal part of psychotherapy. Oh, my God, Kirk, you're such a dumbass. Hi, Adams. Hi, Dr. Adams. Look how cool I look. You know, it's a natural part of therapy. Why can't we just do it with a machine? Doing it with humans is such hard work. It's such hard work. So they have a toast, uh, Dr. Adams, to all mankind. May we never find space so vast, planets so cold, hearts and minds so empty that we cannot fill them with love and warmth. Ooh, empty minds. You know what? Some people in life are empty vessels. Let's we can True. just say that. Some people do need stuff poured into them. I don't think they need <laughs> them force jammed into them. <laughs> so they they go off. They're on a tour. 
of the facility. They walk past a weird random room. Kirk's like, oh, what's in that room? Adams is like, oh, it's a it's a failed experiment. And Dr. Noel immediately, she's all like, <clears throat> oh, well, then why would we even look at it? It failed. So that means it has no scientific uh, benefit. So why would we even look? Why would we even look? And it's like, girl, like, calm That's down. The- First place you would look is see what went wrong because you are trying to analyze someone who is going wrong. Right. Like, also, things not working have great scientific properties to them. Yeah, that's literally the... The The process. If you are a scientist and you are bothered by failure, then you cannot, by definition, be a scientist. Right. Right. You, You would be a reenactor of things that are known to exist. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a scientific, uh, a scientist. I'm a reenactor of things known to exist. I'm a physics reenactor. Excuse me. (laughs) So meanwhile, on board the Enterprise, Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy are continuing to try and interrogate Van Gelder to find out more information. Um, He says things like, neural neutralizer. I am not a criminal. I do not require neural neutralizer. Which is uh, so close to the Men in Black neuralizer that I ne- was wondering if if I think that's a clumsy portmanteau of neural neural new, wow neural neutralizer. I would bet. I loved it. I just was like, ooh, we're getting into this tech. Okay, mind wipe shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, what the fuck is a neural neutralizer? Like, what can Dr. Adams do? And he's like, he will destroy. And they're like, destroy like what? And he's like, like death. Uh, Which I thought was really funny because that sounds like something a little kid would say. Um, Like if they couldn't come up with like the words or like not able to describe like what actually would happen. They're like, like dying, like die. (laughs) Um, Brain die, ego death. (laughs) ego death meanwhile where's kirk uh he's in the neural neutralizer room that's right that's the failed experiment so adam shows this device in operation on a patient and he's like it's fine it's just of limited therapeutic value um and it's great it's this little like hal light um it's just like this this little light that they show every time it's turned on um, and it's quite spooky. Um, and Helen is like, oh, yeah, no, like it's it's fine to tranquilize people. Obviously, we have to give them drugs. But to constantly be tranquilizing them. And Adams is like, literally, that's what I was saying before you interrupted me, bitch. Um, but that's OK. Dr. Helen Noel just has to make everything about fucking her. I just don't like her. And you know what? She can't even complete the alphabet. Because no L. Yeah. <laughs> I've been sitting on that. I've been waiting for a chance to squeeze that in there. I'm very I'm, happy. Sh- amazing. Amazing. Um, so Kirk is like, he's talking to the operator of this machine. He's like, how does it work? And the guy's like, there are two buttons. This is the on button. And this is how much it uses because it was designed by Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah just two buttons that's all you need you know all uh it, it, we don't need hundreds of unmarked no. buttons just two labeled ones <laughs> that's a good 
point, those ones are like the only buttons with labels in all of Star Trek. <laughs> well, and of course, they're trying to downplay it. And they're basically like, yeah, this is a device that he just had it turned he's too high. So he scrambled his brain. He's doing it but by we've himself. turned it down super low. Yeah. It's... It's interesting because this is a plot point within a lot of different things where it's like, oh, we have the mind reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this was in Andor, actually. Mm-hmm. They had a moment like this where it was, oh, this machine's meant for light. And then, of course, someone yeah. comes and turns it up and scrambles their brain or puts, you know, too much fear and thought mm-hmm. into it. So the moment they said, this is a low intensity, it's fine, I'm like, no, it's, no, it's not. not. Bullshit. We know it's not. No, it's not. But he's like, yeah, he put it too high. He sat in the room by himself. If anyone had been there to turn it off, it would have been fine. But this dumb fuck just did this experiment by himself. And Helen Noel is like, oh, of course. That is how scientists do things all the time because I am a shit doctor and scientist. I accept everything on face value. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, meanwhile, so they're like, cool. That was a great explanation. We're going to leave this room. And they leave the room and immediately the tech is talking to the patient. And he's like, you will forget everything you saw. And you will feel enormous pain if you try and remember. So much fucking pain. You're experiencing so much pain. What? Okay. So now we know what's happening to Dr. Von Gelder, Von Van Gelder up in the ship. The pain, uh, the memories, pain. holy fuck. Holy fuck. In sickbay, Spock calls Kirk and he's like, so uh, I have something to say to you, but I'm just so curious who's in the room with you. And Dr. Adams is like, you have a really good first officer and a really shitty aide here with you. Um, clearly, he doesn't want to talk while someone's in the room. Super fair. Starfleet. I'm, I have to go check on some stuff. You can talk to your guy in privacy. So he leaves. Noel's just picking shit up off the walls and looking at him. Um, and Spock is like, I'm concerned. But Noel hears this and decides to interrupt her captain talking to her first officer. Rude. Rude. Literally says, like, that's foolish. Van Gelder's obviously just delusional. He clearly just fell into this machine. And I'm like, you're telling Spock that he's foolish? Yeah. What the hell? Rude. Like, do you even know this guy? How did you end up on this ship? Like, you understand that shit is dangerous in space, right? And, like, you have to take orders. That's the fucking job. Like, I couldn't do it. That's why I'm not in the military. There are many reasons I'm not in the military. But primary, because I'm bad at taking orders. Uh, so McCoy still has his doubts. Kirk's like, well, whatever, we're going to stay the night and we'll come back tomorrow. And Van Gelder hears that and he's like, no, holy shit. Holy shit. Don't let them stay. Holy fucking shit. Van Gelder's going to kill them. He's going to destroy them like death, destroy them. If you thought he was unhinged beforehand, he really flies off the handle here, which uh, some honestly great unhinged acting from Mr. Morgan Woodward. From Mr. Morgan Woodward. Um, So he felt that that role was actually one of the most 
physically and emotionally exhausting ones that he had ever played. He spent like three days. Uh, oh, in I can imagine. Um, and and so much of it is just screaming and shouting and like thrash mm-hmm. and like and the the amount of like so uh, being an actor, I understand what he's doing because when you're in a scene where you're feeling intense pressure, you have to just artificially tighten your muscles yeah. up. You know, you're going, you maybe mentally you're doing a thought exercise to help you get to that place, yeah. but like you're basically just manipulating your body and having to go and like stretch yourself and like really clench and all these things and that is exhausting mm-hmm. it truly is like a workout if you're having and i'm talking about a play where i'm just doing it in a rehearsal or doing it once through you know not a, a, a tv set where they might ask you can you do that scene three times mm-hmm. in a row and you know nail that exact same timing it's 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 the reason i don't do tv and film acting is because it's an entirely different beast than than theater acting in that mm-hmm. regard he uh, thankfully Woodward had worked with that director before. Um, and so he said, like, I just kept going really, really big and I trusted him to tell me to dial it back, like if I needed it. And he never yeah. said to dial it back. <laughs> um, I'm glad he did yeah. it. I'm so glad he yeah, did it. He said he basically went home and slept for a week. <laughs> and because he was he was fairly old at that he was point. About 40. So uh Okay. I mean, it was well, a, it was a 60s battle. 40, though. He was a 60s 40. Yeah. Okay, never mind. So it was like... <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad now. 40 isn't that old, I say, as I rapidly approach it. <laughs> um... It was the sixties, forties. There was a lot of there was a lot of tobacco built up in that bloodstream. I, I, I was literally about to say it could be smoking sixty <laughs> or you smoking, you know, forties, which or you're smoking forties, which is your sixties. There we go. <laughs> McCoy's like, all right, we need to get information out of this guy. Hey, Spock, there's this wild thing that you Vulcans can do called a Vulcan mind meld. I was so happy this was our first yeah. instance of it. I Because all of this Star Trek stuff from the movies that I've seen them do, I don't know how much of it is from mm-hmm. the series. Now, I assume now that I've realized, well, of course, a lot of this stuff is set up here because they don't, you know, explain it in the film as like, what are you doing, Kurt, mm-hmm. you know, or Spock? It's all there. So yeah, just to see this come in so early in the series was really, like, it just tickled me um so spock's like this is like a weird and private thing this is a thing that's in the private lives of vulcans i've never done it with a human i don't know of any vulcans doing it with anyone other than a vulcan i don't know if this is going to work so why are we doing the mind meld well originally uh shyman was like he they hypnotize him they hypnotize him to to get the answers oh okay. and nbc was like well, there's two issues. Uh, most importantly, we need to establish that Spock is medically capable of performing a hypnotism because you can't show a non-medical professional doing something for medical professionals. This is why we can't have Yeoman Rand on the planet because, you you know, that's why if we put a doctor there, the doctor can do things. Were the NBC notes written by the staff doctor? There's Kinda. a lot of like medical notes within Kinda. here. Or not really, but but um less important though, or maybe as important, we can't like show it directly because we don't want to hypnotize the viewers. Oh um, <laughs> see, and this is one of those things where Like, did they just I... want people calling and being like you hypnotized me or like 
Well, and it's like, do you think that they would have like a, a stop the stopwatch just moving back and right. forth, and like if the audience would see that they would, and and I am one to think that hypnotism is pseudoscientific. I don't. I I think that as it's something that as portrayed in yes, movies and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, and especially because it's like the hypnotism in terms of like using it for power of suggestion <laughs> to with to draw memories to get yourself in like a meditative state or something like that. That's different than than and I, and I feel like most people who are claimed hypnotists that's mostly what they're yeah. doing is essentially like cold reading mind kind mm-hmm. of stuff and just the person has to buy yeah. into it it's the same thing with hypnot like professional hypnotists yeah. you basically talk to people afterwards the ones that have been on it and they basically are like yeah i more or less just sort of did it and went along with it mm-hmm. but you don't really hear them about being oh i went into a state and i was like you know in the yeah. back of my mind sort of stuff yeah yeah exactly um so that is why we, or that is why Gene Roddenberry was like Vulcan mind meld. So great! It's honestly, if they had done hypnotism, I would have respected the show a lot. I know, right? <laughs> like, it it's great. So he does this really great. Like, um, he puts his hand. Spock puts his hand on Van Gelder's face, and he's like, "You begin to feel a strange euphoria." Uh, he sort of dances like around Van Gelder. Uh, and he's like, your body floats. Your mind is open. We float together. Our minds sharing the same thoughts. Literally taking him through guided meditation. It's so great. Pretty much. Um, so, <laughs> meanwhile, on the colony, uh, Kirk shows up to Helen Noel's room and just basically, like, walks in and is like, uh, I question the methods that are going on here. I have big questions and I need you to come with me to fuck with the machine. And she's like, well, I thought you just came to my room so that we could fuck. And I'm disappointed. Like, it's very clearly she's like, well, I thought we were going to fuck. And now you want me to fuck with the machine. Uh, You should tell tell Adams. Just tell Dr. Adams. He's like a god. Just ask him. He knows all the things. Because people uh, people like Gene Roddenberry are writing them. That I think. Yeah. And they're basically. They're writing because they want their female underlings to basically be like, oh, I love my boss so much. That's probably one of the changes. Uh, Do you know what? Probably so many of the changes are what um, the interactions between Noel and Kirk were. And that's probably why it got him all pissy uh the writer because gene just added all the schmaltzy romantic stuff to it that he was probably like this is dumb definitely and it it's definitely more dumb like if it were janice rand it would break the show like it would break the show but within the episode it would make a ton more sense yeah but also uh yeoman rand isn't a shitty officer so she wouldn't have done all this stupid shit that's the other thing too. <laughs> like, she's not a dumbass, and this woman clearly is. Okay, so <laughs> Kirk is like, "I am your captain, and I am ordering you to do your fucking job and help me investigate this." So she's like, "Fine." Um. Meanwhile, in a sick bay, Spock learns that Adams has been experimenting on individuals with the neural neutralizer that he in fact experimented on van gelder and that he can shape 
any mind to do whatever he wishes, erase their memories, put his own thoughts there. Of course. And, you know, and then again, for me, this was the point where it's like, oh, yes, of course, this is where I expected it. Yeah. You know, to go all along. Like, obviously, they're clearly implanting yeah. memories and, and getting into desires on there. And we're now, like, two-thirds of the way through the episode. Yes. So this is sort of our twist reveal at the end. And again, part of structurally why I think this is a fine episode, but not, like, a fantastic episode. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> in the original script, there were a ton more devices at the penal colony that do okay. various things, including a machine that could look into the patient's minds and, and oh, see what they're thinking. That's interesting. Yeah. See, that's an interesting angle to add mm-hmm. on to it, is it the different ways that they're doing this and the machines that you would yeah. need to measure. Ev- like, how do you know the memories exactly. are going to be implanted? We're going to have to observe them. So we have that. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, that's maybe the extra layer to the script yeah. that that would change this What now. And again, I'm taking this from nowadays. Mm-hmm. I know at the time, I'm sure this was not a, a trope that had been played out, you know, uh, at that point. So yeah, I'm taking it, of course, with, with the disadvantage mm-hmm. of coming from, you know, 50 years later sure. on it. Um, one of the fun scenes that I'm surprised Gene Ronberry got rid of, I'm sure with the heaviest of hearts, um, there was one where they were able to see a nightmare that someone was having, and it's a girl about to be ravished by a monster. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. So, but that of Why are all the women in this fucking show going to get ravaged for want to be right? ravaged? I don't understand. Right? We're, we're all on the ravaging, ravishing scale and, and you know, and not in that way that it's like all women are beautiful in the, in the creepy Jean Ronberry way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, back on the planet, um... Kirk has like a full it was not a minute it was like three lines but it felt like a full minute of him being like so you can operate this safely correct and she's like yes I have every qualification necessary to operate this safely for I am a medical professional with the following qualifications and Kirk is like excellent therefore it is medically safe for me to enter this device this is all NBC Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like NBC being like, we need to establish that only medical personnel are using the medical devices. As well as that there's consent and understanding and all that. This is, again, it is hilarious. Like a doctor mm-hmm. was just going through and script doctoring this, just making all <laughs> these notes. It's so literal. Um, So Kirk gets in and he sits in the chair and he's like, all right, use a really, really low setting and just turn it off and on. So she does that. And he's like, all right, well, like, whenever you're ready, turn it off and on. And she's like, I just did that. You don't remember? And he's like, that's interesting. Give me a suggestion. So she turns it on and she says, "Um, you're hungry and turns it off. He gets up. He's like, well, this is interesting. But like, honestly, we should raid a kitchen because I'm fucking starving. And she's like, oh, my God, that was me. That was me, Captain. Like, I put that in your head. And he's like, okay, now we got to try something unusual. Like, Yeah, because he's, he, he's a bit like, but I, I could have been yeah. hungry. Like, I might have actually just been hungry. So maybe we should, like, pick something that isn't a normal human emotion. And this is the scene that I think made it so that, uh, one, I'm pretty sure that this was originally going to show up on that extra device that looks in people's mm-hmm. heads. And two, why they didn't want to have Janice Rand do it. 
because it would jump yeah. the fucking shark. She is a serious Starfleet officer. And you know what she would do? Not fuck with her captain's mind and heart while he's in an experimental device. Yeah, so I'm going to run through this part. And normally the, the detailing goes to Emily for yes. this, but I want to walk through what she says. So she he says, pick a specific, you know, unusual memory. So she turns it on and she's like, okay, Captain, we didn't meet at a Christmas party and we didn't just talk and, you know, leave that night. What you did was you came in, literally swept me off my feet, picked me up, took you back to our cabin together, which at this point, we're seeing this mm-hmm. play out. It's now, it's, it's like a flash. As you said, this would be the scene mm-hmm. where uh, they filmed it. So it literally would have been the the observing of what the images is and building it. Because we didn't see the first meeting at the Christmas party. We're only seeing this mm-hmm. part of it. And then you got to sweep me off my feet. And it's all that. And she just lives out her fantasy with the captain. and but But knowingly putting that into his head. Which is... But she's going to remember. And I'm trying to figure out if this is a bizarre... I, and I don't, I don't want, I don't want the audience to think I'm actually taking it this seriously, but like, at, but you know, fear, like, is that a form of sexual assault? Yes. If you are putting thoughts into people's heads that are not real, like it's basically gaslighting yes. someone into loving you, which if any other person did that, we would find extraordinarily bad and abusive. But in this is portrayed as a good, as, cute. as like a positive memory. Cute. Yes. It's all cute. And Kirk, isn't like you know pissed about it yeah. either so again it's the weird sort of consent by not disagreeing i don't know and he signed up for the experiment yeah again <clears throat> fucked up and weird weird choice super weird choice super stupid choice like was she thinking i could tell him to not remember it is this her just hitting on him and losing her job because you can't keep hitting on your fucking boss did her brain empty out? She's like, okay, I need to come up with a unique scenario. And she, But then she's like, so her brain flushed everything out. Then we're going to make a new image in here. And the only thing, the only thing that this medical professional could possibly think of in the moment, because she needs to have something, is, oh, what a girl and I were in love. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like. Not like you have a cat back on the ship yeah. and you want to tell me about it. That'd be pretty guess, unusual. It could have been anything anything or oh don't you remember when we came down on this planet and there was a yeti yeah. like oh my god and then we like barely like any scenario she could have yeah. come up with to implant a false memory it's one that involves their actual personal yep. lives um so do you remember some of the things that are said in the fucking cabin like she he carries her into the <sighs> cabin and she's like oh my reputation what if the crew sees? He's like, the crew is sworn to secrecy. And she's like, but my reputation just meeting you. I mean, if you cared for me. And he's like, would you like me to concoct a lie? Wrap it up for you like a Christmas gift? Because they've obviously just met. And he's yeah. not going to lie to her. But he literally carried her to his room and is now saying, like, I just want to fuck. And NBC was like, be careful about the open mouth kiss. It can't be too horny of a kiss because you can say whatever you want, but yeah, we just need to know that they spend some nice time together so that all the, you know, grannies and grandpas just think, oh, how nice they're going to sit down and play canasta or something. Right? Like now after this kiss, 
um, and talking about how you just really want to fuck each other. Um, this, that, mm. all of that dialogue feels very Gene Roddenberry. So it's so if I'm just I'm going to assume from this point on until the script tells us otherwise that any <laughs> romantic dialogue was given a pass by Gene. <laughs> yup. Um, so because he is because he basically has proved to us otherwise that he will do that. <laughs> pretty much. Um, so she's off on her little romantic adventure in Kirk's brain. When suddenly Adams comes in from behind her, surprises them with his assistant, Eli. They grab Noelle. She's like, oh, no. Um, and begin using the device on Kirk. Adams takes the microphone and he's like, you know what, Kirk? You are madly in love with Noelle. You would lie, cheat, steal, ruin your reputation, your career for her for years you've loved her uh and now she's gone and he like pumps it up so that kirk's like ah i'm in so much pain helen helen um i i thought i do think it's really funny when he, sh- he goes helen helen like <laughs> he finally used her first name he, he finally <laughs> he used did. it um he then says he orders him, he says, take your phaser and drop it on the floor. And Kirk struggles with this because we know he feels naked without his military weapon. Um, mm-hmm. But he drops it on the floor. And then Adam says, now take out your communicator and put it on the floor. And Kirk, fighting as hard as he can, is barely able to get out Kirk to Enterprise before it overwhelms him. And he drops the communicator and falls to the ground. Kirk wakes up in his room with Noelle taking care of him. He wakes up and he's like, for years I've loved you. And she's like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I played with fire and I am scorched. I played with fire and I am paying for playing with that fire. I am so sorry. Captain. I I kind of got what I wished for, but in not the way that I wanted it to happen. And she's just like, it's fake. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? And he kind of like gets control of himself. He seems to sort of gain at least some sort of separation from his overwhelming desire to be with her. I think because like it didn't say anything about his inability to try and get out of the situation he's in, just that he's yeah. into her. So they didn't say you're going to be in great pain mm-hmm. if you think about her or whatever. And also, Kirk's got a strong brain. He's got a strong he's mind. Got a, he's a captain, so yeah. you can't just mind wipe Captain oh, Kirk. Yeah, if you're in his class, you if you don't think, you don't sink. Uh, or if you don't, oh. if you don't think, you're gonna sink. I forget what I forget what his buddy says to him in uh, in where no man has gone before. Uh, <laughs> He's like, oh, Kirk, you're such a... Um, so he's he's like, okay, I kind of remember, but regardless, I see an air duct right next to you. And you know what's great about air ducts? If you're small enough, you can crawl through them. So he's like, Helen, this is your lucky fucking day. As we've learned from every television show and movie ever that every facility has ample air mm-hmm. ducts for human movement. Yep. <laughs> And they go exactly where you need them to go. So he's like, all right, get into the air duct, find the power controls, 
turn it off so that the force field around us is down and Spock can get here and help us. Because at this point, he's sure, like at this point, like they haven't checked in, you know, they know something's wrong. And he can trust his first officer to not be a fucking dumbass. He, he he he's entrusting noel because he has to at this point but spock is the one that he's like i'm basically using you to get someone better right yeah. now yeah pretty much um so he's like do you know how to use that kind of machine and she's like no and he's like oh mega voltage touch the wrong line and you're dead now off you go and it's like that wasn't <laughs> It was no information in that. It wasn't. It was just you're about to do something dangerous, not don't touch the red one or look for this label and don't touch it. Whatever. But some dudes have arrived to take Kirk to the neural neutralizer. So she scampers into the AC duct. Um... And he's like, I trust you completely, Helen. I love you. And you haven't just proven yourself to be a terrible, terrible crew member. Adams is like, wow, I am so, so excited to have you, Captain. What a great specimen to be experimenting on. You're like the perfect specimen. Wait a minute. Where's Noel? Where's Dr. Noel? Um, and he's like, all right, Kirk, tell me where she is. And he's torturing Kirk in the device. He's like, you feel pain. You feel pain. You got to tell me where she is. And he won't do it. Something about- Kirk's like, I don't know. I don't know. know. He falls to the ground screaming. He's in so much pain. And something about the love that he now has for her or just being a captain of a starship, a really good one. Uh (laughs) Well, and technically, he sent her through the air duct, but he doesn't True. know where she has it in there. So he's not lying. True. He doesn't know exactly where she's at. So his brain could separate yeah. it. And Kirk, Kirk knows little loopholes like he that. Does. He can't trick himself. He just figures it out. After crawling through the ducts, Helen manages to locate the power control room. You can tell it's the power control room because there's one big giant lever that says power yes. control <laughs> or something like that. So she takes out the guard in the power control room. There's only one guy, so she's able to, you know, do her thing. Mm-hmm. And she deactivates the field. She pulls down the lever long enough for Kirk to escape. He's, like, on the ground. He gets up, knocks out Adams, leaves him in the neural neutralizer room, knocks out the other guy, runs out. Um, meanwhile... Noelle gets pulled off of the power thing by a random security guard. She kicks him into the voltage and the whole thing explodes. Oh, yeah. This guy is toast. Kill count one. Kill count one, that guy. Uh, Meanwhile, Spock and his security force are beaming down to secure the colony like good, reliable first officers. Spock appears in the power room. Uh, where Noelle just was, because she basically kicks the guy, it all blows up, she gets back in the air duct to go back to Kirk, because she doesn't know what's going on in the other parts of uh, the place. Um, So Spock appears, and he just kind of, like, looks around, and then just, like, flips a switch, like he's fixing a fuse box. (laughs) He goes... Boop, boop. And he's like, force field down. Now we're all good. I've disabled it. Now we're all good. And there's like, I mean, we sort of 
we sort of disabled it when we kicked a person into it. But thanks for flipping that lever for us, Bok, just like, to confirm. Hmm, a guy got kicked into this while I flipped all the power back on and, uh... <laughs> you know it was down by the fact that you got here. Uh, Noelle pops out of the vent and straight into Kirk's arms. She's back in the room and he kisses her passionately. Um... And Spock has just walked in. And Spock has this great look of like, I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> I I don't know what to do with this information, but okay, humans, enjoy your schmackin'. Like, hmm. like, like he has seen this happen before. He has seen Kirk just making out with a girl before and Kirk be hella like embarrassed about it. So he's just like, hmm, I guess I'm waiting. <laughs> um, So Spock, you know, sees the kiss. Um, Basically, at that moment, Kirk turns around, sees Spock, and is like, oh, thank goodness everyone's here, and then realizes, oh, fuck, everything's back on, and Dr. Adams is in the neural neutralizer room by himself. So they run to the room because they don't want to just kill a guy, but Adams has died of exposure to the neural neutralizer. I, I like this, the, the phrasing of it on the wiki says, which empties Adam's mind completely, comma, killing yes. him. <laughs> like, yeah, I think if your mind gets emptied completely, that's the definition of being dead. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, so Noelle's like, this was not on high enough to kill anybody. What the hell happened? And Kirk, Kirk knows. He says, it's because he was alone. His mind emptied out without even a tormentor for company. Wild. Back to the ship. We're on the bridge. Dr. Van Gelder has been cured and he has resumed responsibilities at the colony. He calls up to the ship. He's just like, hey, I just thought Kirk would want to know. I've destroyed the neural neutralizer. It's fucking gone. Um, And before the... Enterprise heads away. McCoy is like, it's hard to believe that a man could die of loneliness. And Kirk says, not when you've sat in that room. Kirk's like, bitch, bet. Yeah, yeah. Proceed at warp factor one. And that's our episode. Episode done. Yes. I have a question for you. What do you think Adams's motivations were? It's really interesting. Um, well, and this is like the second episode we've had where a renowned entity, a doctor, a figure, whatever, mm-hmm. has basically become corrupted through their own power. And it's sort of like, I'm assuming that the intentions of creating this were noble to begin with. But then when things went wrong with Van Gelder, I think that's when it's, it's so it's basically like the first fuck up isn't necessarily the most evil and bad thing, but the cover ups and subsequent fuck ups are all the bad part. That's the problems from there on out. Because also, I don't know if it's true that Van Gelder did that to himself. It might have been something where he actually did. And, you know, they then just tried to cover it up by then, you know, mind wiping him even more or whatever. I, I, I'm not 100% sure if that part was a little bit ambiguous to me. But regardless, it's one of the things that whenever they figured out what they could do with it, they then clearly just had it used for bad stuff. And 
and again, this is sort of the, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Does this go into the area that things like lobotomizing, which we obviously know is different and horrible for its own reason, but if we're just talking about rewriting, mm-hmm. attempting to rewrite, because a lot of it just doesn't fucking work because it's it's just barbaric and it's awful and, and it's not doing mm-hmm. it. But if you were to able to basically do the, es- the, the essence of, of a, a yeah, the surgery. essence of a lobotomy, well, brain surgery even, yeah. yeah. The essence of being able yeah. to like, to rewrap that in there and with this doing on it, it's mm-hmm. the, is how, what is the ethical level of acceptableness of this when you are doing it on people that are in that cage that are in this situation to begin mm-hmm. with about their consent. Are they going mm-hmm. to re- try and rewrite hardened criminals and remove violence from them? Then we get into the, Oh, do you want to think realizing clockwork orange, a clockwork orange. It's a great mm-hmm. example of a film that does this sort of thing yes. on there. And is it the, you know, then when they remove the violence, does that remove part of them? Is that, you know, acceptable to change how people are even just despite how horrible they are as people, what's the level, you know, so that kind of questioning is, it was the interesting part to me. It's just the events that played out to get to there weren't as interesting as, as other Star Trek episodes have been. But again, it's not, I'm not trying to say that this is bad or terrible. It's simply if we're, we'll, we'll get to the question of where does this rank in here? This one mm-hmm. is bottom shelf of i would say where it is it's kind of there with me with charlie x and where no man has gone before um stories that aren't terrible but had just unfortunately been done better in stuff that i've seen so and you know so other star trek episodes just just rise above it in there um but Mm -hmm. it, it for me it's like so far the bad episodes the worst episode of star trek is still better than the best episodes of some other TV series that, you know, oh, yeah. people love a lot more that I just simply have no patience for. Um, this was no, this was no Jerry Maguire. And this is going to come out before that. I'm spoiling. I, but y'all got to get ready for that episode to come out. You, if you love that <laughs> film, watch out. Um, yeah. So it is, uh, it's just interesting to me that that's the ethical dilemma that they played in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing was part of the public consciousness because of things like lobotomies and other things yes. in there that were happening and the attempts to rehabilitate prisoners through psychology and, and sociology and all of those types of things that we still use. And Clockwork Orange. Um, I'm trying to see. So the film came out in 1971. Um, mm-hmm. The book was written. Let's see. By Anthony Burgess in 1962. So the book had been written and was in the public consciousness somewhat at that point, um, which is definitely interesting. Um, So in the original or in one of the original scripts, what Gene Roddenberry had put in was a, a dialogue between Kirk and Dr. Adams, where Kirk is basically like, why? (laughs) Why are you doing Mm this? And, what Adams kind of shares is like, well, I have been helping people for most of my life. I've revolutionized helping people. And what if I want to help myself? What if I want to retire and have a really nice, fancy life? And I have very discerning tastes. That's terrible. And I'm so glad they cut it. Me that too. undercuts so much of the 
intent yeah. of this and the d- dramatic tension because you mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out how much of this is motivated by by things greed that have gone wrong or, or greed or whatever yeah, yeah. and and but to also me, how do you make money off of this yeah like you have to hide it you know it sort of it brings up a lot more questions about how the universe works in Star Trek, exactly. It it raises more questions than it, it answers by trying to come up with the motivation. Because you're mm-hmm. right. Then it gets into, well, how would how would that scheme work? How would you use mm-hmm. this? Unless again, it he uh, it seems like he was more explicitly concentrating on the mind control part of it and the what you can get. And also, I'm just wondering too if that's what Gene basically Gene's dream is. If I could like brainwash a bunch of people, I would just basically have a bunch of servants that were happy happy servants for me essentially maybe i that don't might know be something uh there was the the interesting sort of response was like kirk was like why would you do that just trust and he can't finish it and gelder says trust humanity to give me my just rewards mm. for a just life like kirk i have seen too much of men's minds to trust mankind and and that's so weird to me because then it makes this person mm-hmm. seem like Everything is okay. I'm trying to think how to phrase this. It's like everything is transactional instead of there being mm-hmm. any altruism. Like if he thinks that my my reward for my life for being such a good person is I'm supposed to get a bunch of nice shit at the end of my life, then his entire everything has been displaced from the get go. Yeah. And I, and I think he becomes a much less interesting character. Mm-hmm. And you gotta wonder like what makes him think that he won't get what he wants like when did he start wanting more uh all all of these kinds of things so i think you're right it is much better that they took that part out um but yeah the final fact is me correcting what i said earlier in the episode the name of the colony tantalus uh tantalus was a former king imprisoned in tartarus tartarus okay that's why this was ringing a bell because Mm -hmm. uh, because tartarus is the name of the gate and that's that's why i was thinking and trying to go from that connection that makes sense on there also why the name was ringing a bell because you're right it's not a no duh because that's a deep cut that's even for greek mythology i think that's a pretty deep deep it's pretty deep he's the guy he's forever in chin deep water yes with fruit laden branches above him but he cannot (laughs) drink and he cannot get the fruit tantalizing forgot about the the fruit branches oh my fucking god that's where that word comes from tantalizing that's where that comes from yeah Oh, oh my God. That's like finding out that uh, Narcissus was a person and that's yeah. why we have narcissistic. That's a why I've never thought, I've never, sorry, I'm t- taking it back. Holy shit, tantalizing comes from Tantalus. That's so great. He's tantalized, just like we will be tantalized by the next episode. That's right. It's the, the Corbamite Maneuver. Oh my gosh. Uh, which I freaking love i'm very excited to see what you think of this episode i'm excited too again don't know anything about it this isn't one that's on my radar if i had to figure out what the maneuver was mm-hmm. now my brain first thinks of like a spaceship trying to maneuver but that's too obvious so i think the corbo might maneuver is a political movement Ooh. and there's some sort of like 
ethics shift within an empire or a colony and they somehow get caught and that's the maneuver is that i don't know Let's okay. See. okay okay it's like in the way it's like the title of kind of like the manchurian candidate yeah. which dr adams james gregory played a senator in the original Manchurian Candidate oh. with Angela Lansbury. She, I believe, plays the the husband of Angela Lansbury's character and the father of the would-be um, Manchurian mm. Candidate uh, in that. Um, he might be the friend. No, uh, he's actually, he's the friend. He is the friend of the senator. No, 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 he's the husband. Sorry. Yeah, it's the husband of Angela Lansbury. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's It's, it's all connected. That movie is notorious in my household for being a movie that my husband and friends didn't even give a first chance of to the point where when I was really, this is sad, I was really despondent and like crying at a certain point. My husband was trying to figure figure out how to get me to feel better. And he was like, should we watch The Mentoring Candidate? I was like, no, because you'll just hate it. I know it. Now <laughs> This has made me laugh. Amazing. Um, I've never seen the original. I saw the redo where that had Sabretooth mm-hmm. in it. Um, yeah. Um, the one with, yeah, Liev uh, Schreiber Max. and oh, Denzel Washington so and Meryl Streep. I, I didn't like it as much as the original. Fair. There's something about, I think, the subtlety of the original. Because of, like, Hayes Code's Law, there was a lot of undercut stuff that like the mm-hmm. the this film was more of just service. And the transition of it being from, like, I get why they updated it to being it was a corporate like it's like a shadow corporation in the new one where in the first one it's literally Manchuria it is the country region of Manchuria that captured these people and is brainwashing them so the term Manchurian (laughs) candidate literally comes from people who are brainwashed by Manchurians to do their bidding oh shit yeah so it's like it's like uh it's like clockwork orange where yeah. it's again actually that's just a great yeah. parallel mentoring candidate has brainwashing and yeah. and the in the implanting of false memories into mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. like that's a great example of a trope of this too so yeah um really really interesting that that he's involved this, this is the second second thing he's done that has involved his character being in a plot to uh implant memories into people Damn. But this one didn't. The only thing this needed was um, some sort of political figure to be assassinated at the mm-hmm. end of it by Kirk. That's what. That's all you needed. Yep. All we need is a death. Isn't that also kind of what Zoolander is? Yes, Zoolander is more or less a bit of a parody of the Manchurian Candidate trope. Yeah. <laughs> I literally yeah. never made that connection in my head. It's, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I hadn't until you just <laughs> said that, and as you said that, I realized, yeah, no, that's that is what they're doing. Even the, you know, even to the you have something that triggers you mm-hmm. to do it. You know, a, 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 you know, and that's that's the sleeper agent trope as well. That's yeah. from a lot of different films and everything. But yeah, no, I it just that part is so funny. But yes, thank you so much, thank Missy. You, uh, I'm so so excited to see our next episode. And remember, if you can, I will to live long and prosper. For some reason, for a moment, I I didn't think about it, but then a little jolt hit my brain, and yeah, I do want to live long and prosper. Amazing. Also, do you remember that time that we were at a Christmas party and we almost fought? That was super <laughs> fucking awkward. Like, what the hell, Emily? Like. You came on to me like what? What? 